Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions live here on our show. Again, I'm Tina this week with my friends, Jay and Wendy. How are you guys doing? Howdy. Hello. Very good. How about you? Oh, God is so good. I can't even put in words. Amen. Amen. God is so good. And it's, and and it's Friday. That? And it's Friday. <laughs> Amen. It doesn't get better than that. Bible <laughs> Friday. It's it's like magic. So, yeah, no, God is so good. I'm so grateful to be here and to be with you, our, our audience, and all those listening around the world. We're so grateful to you, and we just want to... Um, let you know that we're praying for you and we are hoping that you enjoy our show tonight. And if you have any comments or any questions that you have that you want to just ask live on the show now, feel free to put them down in the comment section. I will be more than happy to answer them tonight for you guys. And um, yeah, or just say your name, where you're from, and just how God's been blessing you this last week. We'd love to hear from you all. And so we, if we, you guys have any other thing else, yes? I was just going to say, we definitely got time for, for live questions. And it was great. We had a lot come in last week. So I hope we'll definitely get a lot more live questions this week. Yes, that would be great. Yeah, for sure. It's so great when it's just a live interaction where we're just like, hey, <laughs> it's just us and the our audience and everybody out there. And so we're just so glad yeah. we can connect with you guys as brothers and sisters and, um, you know, just fellowship and and talk about God's word and, and d dive into it because it's the word of God is deep. And, you know, it's mm. like a, a sword that's sharper with, than any two-edged sword. It cuts down to, you know, the bone and the marrow. So we love God's word and we just want to uh, discuss, you know, God's word and answer questions tonight based out of the Holy Bible. So uh, before we do that, though, we just want to remind everybody that if you do have Bible questions, feel free to go to BibleAsk.org um, forward slash live and you can submit your Bible questions there or you can put them on or submit them through Telegram. So we are really excited to have all these platforms to have questions come in. And if you're um, wanting to have more ways to um, listen to Bible Ask Live, we are on not only Facebook, but also um, Twitch and YouTube, as well as uh, we're on a podcast. So you can listen to us there. So without further ado, should we start with a quick word of prayer? Please. Let's do it. Yeah, Jay um, Wendy. Lord, let's do it. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for this week you got in us through and now this time to explore your word and your truth. And we pray that you will send your spirit to be with each and every one of us and to teach us, guide us into your truth and transform us, transform us from the inside out. And we just thank you for what you've given us to help us discern truth from error and to um, come out of darkness into your light. And this I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go uh, ahead and, uh, yeah, Yutina, you are muted. We aren't hearing you. Uh, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, so shall we go ahead and get our first question up? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I don't know how to pronounce this name, but uh, this person is asking, what is pagan religion? And please also explain how it was adopted by Christians and the examples associated oh. with pagan religion. <laughs> we were actually going to do this one second, but That's are okay. you ready, Tina? 
(laughs) As ready as I'll ever be. The Bible says to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh for the hope that lies within you. So as um, without any preparation, I am answering this question. So as far as where the pagan, what what is a pagan religion? So that's the first question that's being asked here. And so my my answer would be paganism is actually, it's a religion that goes way back, you know, basically to the time of, you know, Genesis and the early, um, you know, after God created Adam and Eve and there was rebellion and man sinned. And um, paganism is basically a form of worship where it's a false system of worship where people will worship things like nature or things of the earth um, and things like idols. And like you read about this in various places of the Bible of how dangerous it is to um, be part of idolatry in pagan worship. That's why the second commandment, you know, very specifically says thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, nor shalt thou bow down to them, nor shalt, you know, thou, you know, make an, uh, that resembles basically anything, um, whether it's in heaven above or the sea below. And um, there's actually a curse that's uh, pronounced on those who, um, who, uh, give into idol worship. Um, if you go ahead and read about it, actually, let's go to the verse in Exodus chapter 20, looking at the second commandment as far as idol worship, which is in a sense, paganism. Um, so Exodus chapter 20 and starting in verse four, it says, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow that down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But verse six, thank God, (laughs) says, um, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So basically, um, this in essence is like the summary of kind of what paganism is. It's, you know, it's, it's worshiping anything that's not God. And so it, it, the roots go back to, you know, you see in Genesis chapter four, um, people, you know, making false gods and, and worshiping them. And um, so it's so important that, you know, we're not doing that because in a sense, we're, we're saying we are turning our back towards a true God and we're turning our face towards a false God. And so um, whether it's, you know, worshiping, you know, an idol that resembles an animal or we're worshiping, you know, the air or worshiping the sun, you know, there's all sorts of things in nature that people have worshiped for, for thousands of years, just depending on that culture. And so it's very, very dangerous because every type of, you know, form of paganism um, involves some sort of, of practice and a ritual. And so there's many different types of paganism religions or pagan religions that are mentioned in the Bible. Like you look at um, the religion of Baal and what in, what was involved in the religion of Baal is they would put their children through the fire and they would actually sacrifice their children by, by putting them in fire, which was terrible. Um, same thing with Molech. Um, that was another pagan religion. Um, I believe, I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to... I'm not 100 percent sure um, which area that was from, but there's different ones. And then you know you go into Babylon, and they worshipped um, a, a uh, not Abednego, but a Nebo, um, as well as Bel, who was like you know like a dragon, and he it really in essence it was like worshipping the devil. 
um, because of just the way that it looked. So there's just many, many, many types of pagan religions that have been around since, in essence, since the beginning um, of, of creation after the rebellion. And uh, it's kind of funny if you think about it, because the Bible has some very interesting things to say about, you know, pagan religions and um, and kind of, you know, how how silly they are. And there's one specific passage I want to uh, pull up for you guys. It's found in the book of Isaiah. Um, and I want to make sure because to me, this is like kind of the epitome of just the Bible's view of um of of how you know the foolishness there is in um in worshiping these false um these false idols and these you know basically the idols in the pagan religions um and i believe it's in let me see in isaiah chapter 46 um, and God's basically saying, you know, I, I don't want you guys to, to, you know, to worship these idols because they're, they're just false gods. And, you know, uh, what, you know, basically what are you doing, uh, when you're, you're worshiping things that are my creation, it's like you're worshiping the creation as opposed to the creator. And so, um, and I apologize, I'm having a hard time finding this specific verse. Um, and I know Isaiah 46, so I'll, I'll read to you this portion because it's basically God speaking to his people about idols, because sadly, uh, the nation of Israel fell many times back into idolatry and, and fell into these pagan religions. Um, and if you read like in Isaiah 46, starting in verse one, it says, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols were upon the beast and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaded. They were a burden to the weary beast. Um, they stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden. They themselves are gone into captivity. And so basically God is saying like, you know, your idols, <laughs> they stoop down. They're, they're nothing. They have no power. They All they do is burden your life. They burden your, you know, your beasts of burden. They're just, you know, a burden to you. They're, they have no ben benefit to your life. And God says um, something very profound in um, verse nine. He says, remember the former things of old for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So only God is the one who can tell you the end from the beginning. Only God can tell you the future um, and tell you everything you need to know about your life. And that's kind of the sad thing about, um, you know, about an idol is that you're, um, you're basically putting your trust in something that's, that has no power. Um, and there's one more verse I want to, to show you. And it's in the book of um, Psalms, speaking about idols and, um, and those that worship them. And in Psalm chapter 115, God says, or David says something very interesting about idols that um, I think kind of some, like encapsulates the whole idea of, of paganism and idolatry. Um, and it says, starting in verse, um, verse three, 
But our God is in the heavens. He has done so whatever he has pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the works, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet, but they walk not. Neither they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusts in them. And then he calls his people Israel. Oh, Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And so basically, you know, David is summarizing, you know, they, these idols are, you know, images of things that, you know, like an image of a person or image of a, an animal, but it has eyes, but it can't see and it has ears, but it can't hear. And if you make them, you're like them. It's just like you have eyes, but you can't see things for what they really are. Like spiritually speaking, you're blind and you're, you're, you're not, you know, producing anything that's, um, that's fruitful or a, a benefit to your life or to those around you. Now, what's sad is kind of going into the second half of this question. Um, how has this come into Christianity? Well, it most definitely has come into the Christian church and in the Christian faith. And if you think, oh, this is a new thing, this is that make, means Christianity is bad. No, God's people has have been struggling with idolatry and having pagan um, things come into the camp for a very long time. And I'm not saying it's right or excusable. But it is something that um, God's people have just been dealing with because we as humans, we have a, just an innate desire to worship. I think we all recognize that, you know, our world, our universe is so much bigger than we are. And we just have this, you know, this, this burden within ourselves to worship. And, you know, it's who are you going to worship? Who, you know, is that, who, where is your heart going to um go to? Is it going to be to the true God or is it going to be to something you desire or something of your own creation? And I think that, you know, modern day paganism, yes, there are pagans now who, you know, do worship things in nature. Um, like there's what they call white magic or people who worship Manal and these other, you know, pagan gods of, of nature and, and things like that. They worship trees, they worship all sorts of things. Again, it's just worshiping the creation and not worshiping the creator. And, um, so while that, you know, while that's gone on um, and, you know, those things might seem very obvious. So it's like, well, I'm a Christian. I don't worship, you know, a tree or I don't worship the sun or, or things in nature like that. But there um, have been things that have come into Christianity that are definitely related to paganism. And some of the, the one of the biggest ones that people usually bring up is um, the Easter celebration, you know, it's like, why do we have bunnies and, and eggs and those sort of things? Well, what happened was back, um, in the time of Constantine, he was a Roman leader who was trying to, um, unite Rome. And what was going on at the time was Rome was just, you know, it was a world power, but it was very broken. And the reason for this is because there were these barbaric tribes that were pagan and they just wouldn't get along with Rome. And Rome had its own set of paganism. And then in addition to that, um, you know, a few hundred years had passed since, you know, Christ had come to the earth. And so the Christianity had been persecuted, but every time they would kill a Christian, 10 more would pop up because there was just something amazing about the gospel and the gospel was just spreading and people, they, Rome just couldn't keep it under wraps. And so finally this guy, Constantine was like, you know, 
I think, you know, for Rome to unite, to be a united kingdom, we need to have a state religion. And so what he did in essence is he um, blended the pagan rituals or, or the pagan religions, um, like things that were going on in those religions with Christianity. And you see that in things like um, the Madonna, which is what now is what people would say is um, Mary. And so you kind of see these blending of these things. And, you know, you do see, you know, the, the, the god Eshtar being celebrated on Easter because she's the god of fertility. That's why you see bunnies and eggs. So there's things like that that have gone on. Some people also bring up uh, Christmas that, you know, December 25th, that's actually the day that um, the god Tammuz, which is the the Babylonian god of the sun, you know, was born. And so it's kind of like the blending of, you know, Jesus being that and kind of being like, oh, it's kind of the same thing. So there's a lot of things like that that have come into Christianity. Um, but uh, anyways, I could go on and on. So I'm sorry if I'm talking too much. But um, anyways, you know, there's there's many other examples of that. And honestly, the biggest thing that I would say has been the change of Sabbath to Sunday. That is the number one um, pagan ritual that has uh, come into our church. And the reason for that was, um, you know, the Christians, early Christians, they worshiped on Sabbath. You see that in the book of Acts. But when um, the the you know when Constantine was trying to unite um, the pagans and the Christians, they were like, "Well, the pagans worship on the first day because that's Sunday. They worship the sun, and the Christians worship on Saturday. Well, let's worship both days." And then what they started to do was they started to do um, the Sabbath being a Sabbath fast, and then Sunday was a Sunday feast. And so, if you can imagine, Saturday wasn't all that. <laughs> the Sabbath wasn't very pleasant, and Sunday became this wonderful day of you know gluttony, basically, and just enjoying your yourself. So, eventually, things just kind of faded into um, the Sabbath being uh, changed to Sunday. And honestly, that's one of the biggest changes that you see. And it, the thing is, it was also predicted in the book of Daniel, chapter seven, verse twenty-five, where this Roman power seeks to change times and laws, and the only time or only law in the Bible that's related to time is the seventh day Sabbath. So there you have it. <laughs> and um, as far as, you know, paganism and how it's coming into the church, but um, we have to be very careful because we know that, you know, we're coming to the end of time and Revelation 13 says there's a beast and there's going to be a mark of the beast. And I really believe that that mark of the beast is related to a false system of worship, which um, where I believe a Sunday law will be imposed and um, just basically forcing God's people to not keep all 10 of his true commandments. Uh, Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts on that? <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, so <laughs> that was very thorough. Sorry, I, I was talking a lot. <laughs> Man, I, I think there's a topic that you could write books on the differences between true Christianity and paganism. And, and maybe the simplest way is paganism can be, I mean, I guess there's a subset of false religions, but encompasses a lot of different ways that Satan can steer people away from God's true religion. Um, and for me, what's really at the cusp of what Satan's trying to achieve with paganism is he's trying to steer you away from how God really is. And he wants to make you think God needs to be pleased by you before he'll accept you. To me, that's yeah. one of the 
one of the major falsities in pagan religion. So they have these statues and they're giving offerings to these statues and they're bowing down and praying to them, all these things you know, and, and fearing these gods and you be, oh no, it's not raining. We got to do this special dance and please this God. And then I got to kill my baby and then they'll please this God, you know, yeah. and maybe we don't do that today, but we still do it in, in that manner. But maybe we still do things where, you know, we feel like we have to do penances and things of that nature to make God pleased with us. But what do we hear in the Bible? Second Corinthians chapter five, starting at verse 18. Second Corinthians five, verse 18. It says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So what is this verse saying? I mean, there's some big words there, but the big word we're seeing again and again and again there is reconcile. You know, the, this, you know there's a, a problem with the relationship. Things went wrong. Which Whose fault was that? That was ours. Adam and Eve went down the wrong path. They chose to distrust God, disobey God, um, believed the lying serpent and and hurt God. They didn't, and I mean that's it at the end. But but does God say that's it? I'm done with you guys. You know, get away from me. No. What does God do? He immediately promises them in Genesis three a way out. How God's going to deal with Satan. How God is going to pave a way for a savior to come through the lineage of Eve and someday bring reconciliation between the human race and God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was God in the flesh, paying the price for our sins so that then there's nothing that needs to be between us and God. And he became human. He was hurt and injured. He took on all the shame, the guilt, the problems we have. Mm -hmm. He experienced it all so we can connect with him so mm -hmm. that we can... We don't have to be afraid of God. We don't have to run and hide like Adam and Eve did. We can boldly approach the throne of grace, as mm -hmm. Paul says. That's, that is the true religion. But again, if paganism is, oh, this God could be mad at me and wants to destroy me and I got to please him. No, no. Mm -hmm. First, God has pleased himself with what he has done. We just have to accept that. That yeah. is true Christianity. We can't do anything to please God. In fact, what are we told? Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God him referring to God for mm -hmm. he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him where in there does it say you got to do you know good acts be a good person for God to be happy with you yes God wants that he really does but that's not what allows you to enter God's presence he's already made the path for that you it's by your faith by believing, what does it mean believing God? Like James even says, even the devil knows this, the, the demons know God is God. That's not faith. Faith is trusting that he's a good person, that God is faithful to his promises, that he loves you and he wants to welcome and accept you as his son. That is true Christianity. That is true religion. And then anything that tells you otherwise, anything that says you got to go through a church, you got to throw go through a human being. You got to go through some ritual. You got to say some magical prayer. You got to say something that's paganism. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. exactly. so that's, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, going back to 
um, Cain, Cain wanted to offer his own fruits to God. He brought fruits. He was supposed to accept a lamb for him from, from Abel. He rejected the lamb representing Christ, and he wanted to offer the fruits of his labor. To me, that is the beginning also of paganism. Cain started it, and so many religions continue it today. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a good summary. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> you helping me out with that. And, you know, I think it's just so interesting, uh, kind of like you're saying, you know, that that's the thing with paganism and pagan religions is, yeah, you're trying to appease a God. And that's really what distinguishes the God of the Bible from any other God or religion in the whole world, mm -hmm. which is very interesting because every other religion, you have to do something for your salvation. You have to appease this higher power of some kind, or you have to, you know, realize yourself in some way, you know, or do some sort of rituals to, you know, to just elevate yourself at, you know, to a higher level of spirituality. But the, the thing is when it comes to Christianity, only in Christianity, do we see God himself come to us. God mm -hmm. humbles himself. You see that in Philippians chapter two, you know, where let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not, you know, robbery to be equal with God, but, you know, basically humbled himself and became a man and, mm -hmm. you know, humbled himself to the point of, of death, even the death of the cross, which was one of the most humiliating and, you know, gruesome and painful deaths he could have died for us. But yet that's the God that we serve. And there is no other God like that. And so any religion um, that, you know, basically is telling you, you have to earn your salvation in some way, shape or form. There's a problem there because that's not the God that we serve. God says, you know, um, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So yeah, I appreciate you bringing out that, that super important point of just how, you know, how different and unique our God is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there is no other God like him, period, hands down. And I'm just so glad that's the God that we serve is a God of love. And what you said there about Christianity is the only one that way, that is that way. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that there is a huge point. And to me, when I was in college and exploring, you know, what is truth and, you know, what's the mm -hmm. odds I'll be born into the right religion, the one thing that really grasped me and kept me into Christianity was noticing how it was different than any other religion in that mm -hmm. regard, that Christianity mm -hmm. is so special. Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed that as well in, in my journey, like I, cause I wasn't raised in a church. It was kind of a nominally Christian environment, but you know, wasn't, didn't have a strong basis there at, or foundation there. And there, and then I got to a school that was super diverse and had every different religion. And I, I was searching for truth and I found the same thing that Christianity was the only one where God literally gave his own life mm -hmm. for us while we were still sinful and broken. And, you know, when we were not good. Whereas everything else, it's like this constant earning, earning, earning. And you know, that's just, it's so unique. Yeah. And that, to me, in a way, that makes me so sad to think that there's so many people who live that way, who who think, you know, that they need to appease this God. Like when I read about, um, like in the book of Daniel chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar, who's, you know, a pagan king, and he has this dream that the true God gives him trying to reach out, trying to connect to him. And what's funny is that God uses an idol 
in the dream. And, you know, God, obviously he hates idols, but God used the idol to get his attention because it was something that the Nebuchadnezzar would understand. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is when Nebuchadnezzar goes to his, you know, his astrologers and magicians and these other pagan um, spiritual leaders, he goes, you know, what, you know, what was the dream that I had? And they're like, well, you have to tell us a dream for us to interpret it. And he's like, no, no, no. If you're really spiritual, like you say you are, your gods or whatever can tell you the dream. And then you can tell me the interpretation. And they say something so profound as far as, you know, just kind of the essence of paganism. Um, and you see it in um, Daniel 2 and verse uh, verse 11. And it says, uh, or basically 10, 11, it says that Chaldeans answered before the king and said, there's not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there's no king, lord, or ruler that asks such a thing at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And this is a rare thing that the king requires. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods. So these false gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And that like broke my heart in a way when I read that. Because I'm like, these people lived in a way where they thought that their gods didn't even live with them. They don't have any connection to them. They're, you know, but we are so... I'm so grateful that I have Jesus, whose name is Emmanuel, which is literally God with us. I mean, how much more, <laughs> you know, how much better could you get as far as, you know, if you were going to choose, you know, which God do I serve? Choose the God that's with you. Choose the God that's for you, you know, who, you know, will mm -hmm. be there with you and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Um, you know, there's, to me, there's just no comparison. There's no way I could ever leave my Jesus <laughs> because, you know, he doesn't leave me. Amen. But anyways, I know we probably should keep it moving. We've got some more questions to answer. But that was an extremely important topic that you just covered. Like, I, I think of everything people should know, this is one of it. So many people are led astray. Amen. All right, let's and go ahead and get our next question question up here and by the way if you have questions feel free to drop them we'll love to connect with you on it so sorry question You're good. all right so william <laughs> is asking in genesis 6 3 before the flood god said man shall live to be 120 years old why didn't we see that happen until generations later all right so there's a couple different parts to this question and actually, I will say up front, it's, it's not um, something everybody agrees on as to what this verse means. Like, there's at least two different understandings. So one is God saying, I'm cutting everybody's lives short. People aren't going to live longer than 120 years. And there's another interpretation, which I'll get into also. So if, if the truth is the second interpretation, then that might explain why there seems to be a delay. But first, let's assume actually God does say, I'm going to be shortening people's lives. Um, and there's, you know, some good reason to think, okay, that's what God's talking about. Because when we, well, first, let's look at the verse. It's Genesis 6. Let's start at uh, verse, verse, six, verse 1. We'll start at verse 1. Genesis 6, verse 1. And it reads, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. Next verse. That the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, 
saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Okay, so there's mingling of daughters of God, sons of men. Uh, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So, question is, like, who's this man God's referring to? Um, what does it mean, striving with them in the spirit? But let's assume for right now that it's, it's actually the lifespan of a person. Um, if you look at the genealogy in Genesis, you see people reliving 900 years plus easily. Adam, and we have uh, Methuselah, who lived the longest, I think 969 years. Um, Noah himself lived, I think, 600-something years, or no, or no, maybe more like 700. So, but even with Noah, like, let's say he was 700 years. Now, that's a lot shorter than, um, than his grandfather. And if we jump forward to Genesis 47, verse 28, we see that Jacob died at the age of 147. So Jacob, we're, we just go a few generations. We have Abraham, we have his son Jacob. Jacob's now, oh, sorry, Abraham, Isaac. And then now we get to Jacob. He's 147 years old. His son Joseph, oh, we even have a little graphic here that shows it all. Um, so you can see Jared lived a long time, Methuselah lived 969, Noah lived, oh, 950, wow. Okay, so Shem, his son, 600. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and you just see people starting to die even before their great-grandfathers before them. Abraham was 175, yeah, Isaac, I forget his age. But by the time we get to Jacob now, he's 147, and Joseph dies at the age of 110. Bam, now all of a sudden we actually are seeing recorded someone's less than 120 years. That was Joseph. And and I'll just recognize there are different timelines. If you're looking at the Septuagint, uh, the Greek version of the Bible that Jesus had during his day, that one has people living um, different. Like the, the it, 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 it works out differently. But I agree. I think the one that we tend to have today is the correct timeline. There, there's good textural evidence that that's accurate. But what's interesting is we, we get to, there's a couple aberrations where we have Aaron. Aaron, uh, Numbers 33-39, says he lived to be 123 years old. Deuteronomy 34-7 says Moses lived to be 120 years old. So right on the money, Moses was 120. And then Joshua lived to be 110 years old. But what's interesting about these people is they all were part of the Israelites who were supposed to go into the land of Canaan. And in fact, they were supposed, these three especially, were supposed to live and enter. And Joshua, in fact, did. But, but because of uh, sins, Moses and Aaron died just before the Israelites entered the land. But God had kept them alive during the 40 years when the Israelites were sort of waiting around for this whole sinful generation to die off. But God kept Joshua, kept Moses, kept Aaron, and then another one, Caleb, who's, I believe we don't have his age when he died. Uh, he kept all those alive. So this is a unique exception, and I don't think God was necessarily saying, oh, because I said people live 120 years, that, you know, therefore I'll let Moses die at 120. That's not what was going on, I, I believe. 
And why do I say this? Because if you look at... Um, oh, where'd it go? Uh-huh. Psalm, Psalm 90, verse 10. Psalm 90, verse 10. It says, And days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years. It's interesting. So you have this verse that's a little bit in tension with the 120 years that we see earlier. Granted, this one is not a decree of God, but maybe it's just recognition of how people are actually are living. But we see even this today. Most people live to be in their 70s or 80s. And we have just a few people who might live beyond that, which is actually interesting that still the longest people we see live to about 120. I think we recently had the oldest person on record die at the age of 122. Yeah, so it, it is interesting. So that's what I'm saying. I'm, it's possible that that's one interpretation. God said, I'm going to let people live 120 years. But, um, well, okay, but so why did it take time to evolve? Uh, you know, as Peter says in Second Peter 3, verse 8, Beloved, um, do not forget that one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Like, for God, God has a totally different concept of time. So when God says something's going to happen, that doesn't mean it's going to happen, you know, the next second, the next moment, in terms of our time as we perceive it. You know, there could be a long delay, but even to God, that's like nothing. Um, but God is not slack concerning his promises, as we, we go on to read. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. So, God is faithful. God did deliver. If, if you think God said he's, he's going to shorten people's lifespans, well, he did deliver on that eventually. And, um, you know, if we just look at even uh, other historical events in the Bible, we have one where in Isaiah, Isaiah 39, um, we have this King Hezekiah who takes the Babylonians on a tour of Israel, doesn't tell them about God, and he just glorifies himself. And God says, because of this, the Babylonians are going to come back and they're going to invade your, your Judea and take everybody away, and it's going to be devastating. But don't worry, Hezekiah is not going to happen in your lifetime. It's like, whew, phew, good. That's fine, God, because it won't happen to me. But it didn't happen right away after he died. There were still several generations before this prophecy came to pass. Why did it take forever? That's how God works. He waits for the right time. He lets things play out. Um, God doesn't necessarily intervene in immediately. He lets things naturally take the course at times. But here's another theory of what that 120 days means. So if we go back to that Genesis verse, um, verse six, or sorry, chapter six, verse three it says, "And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever." For he is indeed flesh. Who is he struggling with? He's struggling with man. He's, and we just heard that daughters of men married, uh, sons of God married the daughters of men. Like he's, it could be he's talking about the people of that particular time who were extremely wicked. Because if we keep reading now to verse 4, it says, There were giants on the earth in those days and afterwards. And then we go into verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So he's still talking about the people when he's saying man, it's talking about the world in in general at that time. They were evil, just thinking evil all the time. And the Lord was sorry that he had made them. Uh, verse 7, so God says, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing. So, so why do we think when God says, I'm going to shorten life of man to 120 years, he's talking about people in general going forward. But then when we get to just a few verses later, we're, we're understanding is he's going to destroy the antediluvians, the people at the time of the flood. If we read this verse consistently, he's talking about the same man. The same man he's going to give 120 years is the same man he's going to destroy with the flood. And if we look at it, uh, we, we understand that Noah started building the flood around the time before he had his kids. So it, it's not exactly clear to timeline when Noah exactly started, but we're told he was 500 years when he first begat Shem. This is in Genesis 5, verse 32. Uh, so he first has the first kid when he's 500 years old, and it looks like he built the ark over about 100 years. And he is, you know, ministering to the people during this time. He's building a giant ark, telling people it's going to rain. They're like, you're crazy. It's never rained before. What's a flood? We've never seen a flood before. So he's probably drawing lots of attention. God's giving people warning, giving them an opportunity to get in that ark and be saved. Because that's the type of person God is. And they didn't. So that's how I more understand what is this. 120 years. I really think it's God saying, I'm going to give 120 years for these people to turn around, to get onto the boat, to get onto the method, me, the, yeah, the method of salvation I provided for them. And, you know, if they don't, then they will be destroyed at, after that 120 years. So God came right on time. It was a time prophecy. So, uh, so those are two options, two ways of looking at it. Hope that explains it. But you know, do you have anything to add on that? You're oh, muted you're again. Oh no. <laughs> the meme of the year last year, right? <laughs> 2020. You're yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you're on mute. I tell it to my students all day. You're on mute. <laughs> and I'm on mute. Um, I don't want to cut you guys short if um if there is something else. You wanted to say nope okay it could cover well, everything <laughs> unless you know right. i hope you got other insights <laughs> no i i i i always have thought about that verse and i i think it's really interesting i really think it's interesting that moses is the only one that's 120 i think that's sort of significant as far as like prophetically speaking um because mm. he's kind of the next one that we see, I mean, there was obviously Abraham, but like, I feel like Moses fulfilled a lot of things that God had promised as far as he's like a type of Christ and that he delivers God's people. And when like you talk about Moses in the new Testament, you know, it says God's people were baptized into Moses when they walked through the red sea. And now, you know, we're baptized into Christ. Mm -hmm. And so like Moses kind of encapsulated the old covenant, whereas, you know, later on Jesus gives us the new covenant, um, by his blood, which is, you know, writing God's law in our hearts. So anyways, I think, you know, that whole 120 years is, is just so fascinating. And I think there's just this, to me, there's a connection to 
um, the fulfillment of it in Moses. But really what I think too, I, I, I kind of more lean towards, you know, I don't think God is saying like everybody gets 120 years to live. No, it's that's not what it's saying. And, but and I do think God was saying, you know, people after the flood are going to live, you know, around that time frame. I think that's kind of what more God's leaning towards because people were living to be, you know, in the 900s and, you know, then mm-hmm. their lifespan got cut short dr- dramatically. And I think God did that in his mercy uh, <laughs> more than anything, just because, you know, so that evil wouldn't continue or become so rampant, you know, at least um, the evil people can, you know, sadly, but die off. And I, the reason I think you see that to me in the book of, or in the Bible is, you know, when you look at the life of Moses, it's very interesting. Um, and this is why I say that because in the Bible, 40 years always equals a generation. And there's a verse that um, specifies mm. that. Um, I thought it was in the, I'm pretty sure it was in the book of, in the book of Psalms 95, verse 10, it says, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation. You know, and it was talking about, you know, the Israelites when they were in the, the wilderness for 40 years. But what you see in the life of Moses that's kind of interesting is the first 40 years of his life, he spent in Egypt being trained and educated in the Egyptian, you know, culture, which was pagan and it was false. It was a false system of worship. And then God calls to, you know, God pierces his heart and, you know, Moses feels this burden, you know, to, to help his people, but he doesn't know how, cause he realized he knows he's a Hebrew, but mm-hmm. he's kind of torn as to what to do. And so, you know, he ends up killing one of the um, taskmasters and the Pharaoh finds out about it and he runs for his life. And then he's out in, you know, the wilderness for 40 years, you know, being basically a shepherd and being in a sense, re-educated in the, in the knowledge of the true God. And then God in the, you know, the next 40 years, he spends leading his people out of Egypt and through the wilderness for those 40 years until they reach the promised land. And so to me, it's kind of like this, God gives us, you know, chances in a way, like, um, you know, the first 40 years, that generation of his life, he spent in darkness. The next 40 years he spent, um, in learning. And then the last 40 years he spent in leading and his ministry. And so, I don't know, to me, there's just something so significant about that. Um, I think that, you know, God is so good and merciful and he's always trying to teach us something um, in these stories. And so to me, in a way, what I feel like God is saying is like, you know, in your life, you know, in your time past, you might've been raised one way, but God, you know, if you're willing to listen, God will intervene and he'll re-educate you and he'll give you time to learn about him. And once, you know, you come to a knowledge of the truth and you accept it, God will also give you an opportunity then to share your truth, um, the truth that God has given you um, in his word. And I think that that's such an important thing as far as, you know, what God is maybe kind of teaching us in those 120 years is, you know, if God's giving you time, it's not for the purpose of you just doing whatever. What God wants to do is, um, you know, find you, <laughs> educate you and train you into um, somebody who's ready to to share his truth and his love and be ready for, um, to be ready to go home and to, to be a citizen of heaven because, you know, it's God's will that everyone is saved. Um, so I don't know. Is Amen. that? Amen. <laughs> I don't know if you guys oh, see that as well. I, I love that. The, I mean, I think we could go on and on in the sense of there's probably so many different parallels between Noah and and uh, 
and Moses. And mm-hmm. in fact, like Moses started off in a little boat and he's pulled oh, out of it. In an ark. And, yeah. Yeah, a little ark. And and yeah, you're right. Maybe Noah's I mean Moses's life was sort of like that period of 120 years that the antediluvians had with Noah to to sort of minister to them and provide them a way out of out of their situation that they were going to have. Yeah, and I think too like when it came to the antediluvians, you know, a lot of them started out, you know, believing Moses or Noah and you know started, you know, maybe even you know listening to Noah preaching the gospel, but they just kind of were like, eh, you know, this doesn't really seem to be working out. I'd rather spend my time doing other things. And, you know, doubt creeped in. And I think that that's kind of the difference you see between God's true people like Moses, as opposed to people who don't follow the truth, which is, you know, everybody gets a chance. You know, God speaks to everybody Mm -hmm. in some way, whether it's through nature, whether it's just the Holy Spirit speaking to their heart. You know, I I believe God speaks to everybody in some way um, on this planet. And um, obviously it's, it's wonderful if you have the privilege of, you know, learning the the Bible, which, you know, contains all the truth, but I think, you know, everybody has a chance and it's always God's will to save and to heal and to, um, and, you know, basically to, to give you salvation. That's what God wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God wants us to be saved so desperately. Um, Amen. And so, you know, I, I think I, what I just see so clearly is, you know, the antediluvians, those who were lost in the flood, as opposed to, uh, you know, Noah, as well as Moses, who were saved from the waters um, that, you know, it, it, there's just this difference of, you know, am I going to choose, you know, keep my faith? Am I going to stay faithful, you know, to the end? Or am I going to get distracted and get bored or, you know, start having doubts and just kind of, you know, slowly drifting away from the truth until it's just too late? Um, because, you know, even if, you know, Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, Jesus will come and, you know, his reward is with him. And, and only those that have put their trust in God and have a saving relationship with him are going to, to um, be able to have access to the kingdom of life. And so, um, yeah, I just think it's so important that we learn from these things and, you know, we make a decision every day, you know, who do I want to serve? Do I want to serve myself or do I want to serve God? And am I going to educate myself in the knowledge of the truth? Or am I going to, you know, basically, you know, when you're just not studying God, um, you're in a sense, educating yourself in the things of this world. Like how do I make more money? How do I be entertained? You know, things like that. Those are just distractions. And I think, you know, it's so important that we, you know, keep our eyes focused on, on our savior. And, um, again, I think that's important why we're, we need to study God's word in the Bible because it just keeps um, our relationship alive and fresh with him. Exactly. Amen. 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 And we have a few people who joined us this evening, so I think we should just say hi and welcome yeah. to Olivia and Fadi and Gorov. Thank you guys for joining us this evening. Great to have Hello. you. And if you're just joining, please uh, please let us know you're here. I'd love to give you a shout out. And if you have questions, We'd love to answer those. Indeed. And yeah. I think we have another yes. Let's go question. ahead and get our next question up. 
So Judith is asking, is America in Bible end time prophecy? Great yes. question. <laughs> <laughs> My answer is Next yes. Question. <laughs> Can you yes, prove it, Tina? You got to convince well, me. Uh, do you, I'm sorry. I don't mean to steal anything. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's just so clear. Um, when it comes to Bible prophecy, that this is just why I love the Bible is, you know, um, like we were reading earlier in Isaiah 46, 10, where, you know, God says he declares the end from the beginning and things that are not seen as though they were because God knows the future. And he knew about America in the Bible. And I think you see the United States so clearly in the Bible in Revelation 13, um, getting close down to the time of the end. To me, that's where you see what I believe is the, the, um, you know, America, um, mm -hmm. basically when we're coming down to the time of the end, you know, there is a, a beast power that's been prophesied. That's going to be the big world power. Um, um, you, you know, I believe it's the same beast in Daniel chapter seven. Um, but then it says that in revelation chapter 13, um, in verse 11, it says, and be I beheld and another beast came up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth, which will then there therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Um, to me, that's pretty clear that, that this would be the United States because um, the first thing it says is that the beast comes out of the earth. Now, every other beast, like you read in uh, Daniel chapter seven, they all come out of the water. And if you read later in, in the book of Revelation, it says that waters represent people and nations. And so from, you know, widely populated areas. But where do we see a nation that becomes a worldwide power, especially worldwide military power that comes from an, a land that's not densely populated? That's basically just Earth. I mean, that's to me, that's obviously the United States. Um, and, you know, it, um, some interesting things. Uh, that define it. And it says um, that basically... And so it looks like a lamb, right? Yeah, it looks like a lamb. So it has this image that it's, you know, you know, Christian or good or kind, but it has this side to it that's, you know, very vicious. And so, um, you know, I do think that in the end of time, we're going to see, you know, the United States and this beast power joining forces to enforce... Um, the, the mark of the beast, which again, I personally believe that's going to be the Sunday law, uh, which opposes the fourth commandment of God, you know, which God, you know, says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So um, it just imposes. And we already have, we already have Sunday laws on the books in certain states, and we already had major attempts to impose Sunday laws nationwide. So not crazy. These things have been attempted and it's just, will it happen in our lifetime again? Yeah. And even in 1888, the Sunday law almost became a national Sunday law. It was only because somebody, you know, appealed to Congress and said, hey, this is against the First Amendment. We can't be having this. Um, but yeah, back in 1888, like it was, it was uh, basically, were they going to sign it into legislation? Um, but thank God <laughs> they did it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's people that are upholding the truth and, you know, trying to have religious liberty. Um, where people can have a freedom of conscience. And I think that that's really the the battle that's going on is a battle of, you know, your your right to choose. And so... Um, it's anyway. interesting that Revelation 13 talks about 
uh, there being two horns and horn means power rulers authorities in in um in prophecy speak and mm -hmm. in america you know we've always have this dichotomy of you know separation of church and state for example or we have even like just two political parties always mm -hmm. it seems like you know first we had the democrats and the whigs the whig party collapses immediately replaced by the republicans so it's to me it's a very apt symbol for the united states mm -hmm. and um and then there's other verses that are not as clear about the united states referring to it sort of as this prophet uh i think referring to just the the level of of, of christianity we have there's a, a very uh, spirit oriented a very um a very eager christianity that may be a bit misled at times right i don't want to call out certain groups or whatever but you know these concepts of you know people really want to have a true religion with God, want to have a real experience that they think, you know, is, is bringing down that fire from heaven, but is really not of God's origin, mm -hmm. which is why it's so important to really go back and understand, you know, what's pagan, what's Christian. I love that first question. Yeah, definitely. All right. Are, do we, are we out of questions or for the night? We got three minutes. Maybe uh, we could take one of those short questions that we have in the bank. <laughs> All right. Let's put it okay. up then. Go ahead and getting that. Got a really short, fun question. All oh, right. That's so... not a short one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could do that one. <laughs> okay. So you do this. So, all right. So, Lewis is asking: Is it possible that the Quran and the Bible were once the same or part of the same book? My answer is no. Is <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. The two are so different, and you know, yeah, there's overlap, and I guess from the Quranic perspective, the Bible. It started off as the right book, the same book, and the and over time the Bible degenerated, and now the Quran is trying to bring back what God originally intended. Um, so, if you're from that perspective, then that's what you believe. But if we understand the Bible to be God's word, that you know God has preserved it over time, which there's archaeological evidence that keeps backing it up. Like we take manuscripts from the Dead Sea Scrolls, still showing like bam is pretty spot on, even what we have today. Uh, so we could have confidence in the Bible if you have faith in it to begin with. Mm -hmm. And and then if you go back and contrast, you know, what how does the religion work in the Bible versus religion work in the Quran? That gets back to what we're talking about, you know, with paganism. And I'm not saying Quran necessarily pagan, because I mean, I, I respect how Islam did a lot to abolish idolatry that was present in the Middle East and bring people back to a monotheistic religion, which that was great. Um, so there's a lot of good things going for it. But but that basic premise of, do you need to appease God with your own works versus is God loving you and wants you to just come to him and he's reconciling you to him, just wants you to have faith? Like th those are hugely disparate concepts, vastly different, light years apart. And... And just fact to the point where there's two totally different gods in in the two books. 
And so to, to say that, you know, they share a common region, I, I just don't see it. I don't see how it's possible. Yeah. And I mean, just the, you know, the timing of when they were written, you know, the, the books of, of the Bible were written over 1500 years that, you know, span back to the time of Moses, which was, you know, what, at least a thousand or 2000 years before the coming of Christ. Um, so, you know, the, the books of the, you know, the Bible was written, you know, much earlier than the, the Quran, which was written in what's the 680 somewhere in that time frame around, you know, a little after 600 AD. And so, you know, there, there are very different books written at very different times from very different authors. And so, um, you know, while I respect, you know, my, my Muslim friends, I have many friends that are Muslim and they're wonderful, great people. Um, but no, I don't think that the Bible and the Quran um, are in any way the same book. And, you know, there's some very unique differences, you know, even in stories that seem to kind of overlap because there's a lot of the same characters a lot of the time, like um, Abraham or or things like that, but they do different things um, in the stories. And so that's kind of, you know, something that's unique. And and so, <laughs> you know, the Bible is pretty clear that, you know, if it doesn't speak according to this word, you know, it, it, it's not the same light. It's, a, you know, it's something else. Um, and so, you know, while I, again, while I respect my, my friends and brothers and sisters out there who are, um, who are Muslim, I, you know, I don't think that the Bible and the Quran are, are from the same book. I think they're very different. And so, um, I think, you know, we have a job to do as far as, you know, loving, um, our friends and those around us who are of the, uh, Islamic faith. And I think, um, you know, I think we need to all just study together and, and come to our own decision as far as, you know, what we accept as truth. Um, in our lives. And, you know, no matter what that is, you know, if my friends, you know, choose Islam, you know, I, res I think a principle of the Bible is that we respect each other and love each other. So that's what I would say. Amen. 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 We have a comment, uh, a greeting also from Felipe who's joined us. He says, happy Sabbath to everyone and blessings. So thank you. Great. Happy Sabbath to you as well, Felipe. And blessings. Yeah. And to everybody else who have joined us today. Yes. Amen. So we are out of time. So we probably need to wrap things up. But before we do, we just want to remind everybody, if you have questions that you would like to submit for our show, please do so at BibleAsk.org forward slash live. And we would be more than happy to answer those on a future episode. And don't forget to like and share our content. Uh, we are on Facebook youtube and twitch as well as on podcasts so feel free to check us out on all these platforms we are so grateful that you guys decided to join us this evening and we pray that you are blessed and god continues to guide and lead you in his truth in your life um jay or wendy would you mind saying a quick prayer before we go all right heavenly father we thank you so much for for again, uh, you being with us during this time and for how you are not the God of the pagans, but you are this wonderful God who accepts us just as we are and will work with us from there to mold us back into your image. And we just, again, thank you for that love, for that mercy, that grace, and pray that you can impress upon the hearts of everybody who listens about this love, convince them of that love, and give them the peace of knowing about it. This Lord, I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again next week at on Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
See you then. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye.